Um, and so our cornerstone verse is 2 Corinthians 4.13. And Paul, saying this to the Corinthian church, he's saying, But having the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed, and therefore did I speak. We also believe, and therefore also we speak. Um, talking about the spirit of faith and what that means and what that is. What is the spirit of faith? Well, in a nutshell, the spirit of faith is coming to the place of saying, hey, you know what? I am confident in what God said to me. Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Last week in youth, we talked a little bit about it. It was fun with the kids. I was talking about, hey, what is faith? Is faith this... <laughs> is it this magical cloud? <laughs> no. Is that a substance? Is that a substance? No. What is a substance? This is a substance. This is a substance. We see substances all around us. Substances, tangible, right? Another word for substance, the title deed, the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen but hoped for. In other words, we know what the end is. We know we can see it with the eye of faith. Can we see it with these natural eyes? No, the natural eyes cannot see it. So much of our world today and our education system today says, well, you've got to reason it out. You've got to think through it. You've got to solve it. Whatever you see, that's what it is. <laughs> well, sometimes with God's principles, we've got to relearn some of those stuff because it's all about the heart with God. It's all about believing in Him. It's all about trusting in Him. It's not about everything in the gospel, guys and gals, has nothing to do with what we can do. It has nothing to do with what we've earned or who we are or how good we have achieved something. It's all about what Christ has done and God has given for us and our job is to trust in that. Come on. Our job is to say, okay, God, you've given me your promises. God, you've given this to me. You've done everything. Jesus died on the cross so that I could have hope of heaven, so that, I could, so that the Holy Spirit would come. He died to fulfill all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. He came as the Messiah, as the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. And... And here we see that, hey, I'm just going to trust that whatever God did was enough for me. He came for healing and health in our bodies. He came for financial prosperity in our lives. Jesus wasn't poor. He lived a good life in a lot of ways. But he also lived a life submitted to God. He chose to lay all those down. Even back up a little bit. What was Jesus' life like in heaven? Good. Everything he needed and more. And then the Bible says that he, he chose to, to be stripped of his deity and take on man, man, manhood, mankind, the form of human flesh. God incarnate, right? So we're talking about the spirit of faith. And what is the spirit of the faith? The spirit of faith is saying, hey, God, basically, if you said it, I believe it. And I'm going to hold on to that thing as long as I can. I'm going to hold on to it forever if I need to. Right, Diana? I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to take hold of that, and I'm not going to let it go. God, you've given it to me as a promise in your word, and I'm going to stand on it until I see it. It doesn't matter if things come in my way. Things come this and there. Things come in. I don't care. 
when my kids come to me and they say, Dad, I'm not feeling well. I'm sick. I don't feel well. My skin has bumps on it. My stomach's upset. A few years ago, I was in a place, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe we should give you some Tylenol. Maybe we should do this. But my personal faith has grown in the Word of God to the place that I say, come here. That's under the curse of the law. That's under what the Bible says. The promise of God to us is that He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. By His stripes, we are what? Healed. Not, we're going to be healed. Not, sometime we will be healed. We are healed now. Present tense. This moment. And if I'm not seeing that with these eyes, I see it with my heart. And because I know the Word of God has given it to me, and that's what I believe, so I lay hands on him. I say, in Jesus' name, be healed and whole. Bumps be gone. Stomach be well. I say, go to bed or do whatever. I expect it. I expect it with a boldness and the tenacity of saying, hey, this is God's promise to me. I've grabbed a hold of it, and I expect it. And if it doesn't line up, you line up now in Jesus' name. Because I have that authority, because God has given it to me. And the promises of God are more real to me than what I see in the natural. And I'm expecting it. That's what the spirit of faith is. The spirit of faith is such a bulldog mentality of grabbing hold of that thing. Say, I'm not letting go of this. It's not just because of something I do on my own. Remember, it has nothing to do with me. It stems from that trust from what God and Jesus on the cross has already done for me. Come on. And so, the, we, Addison talked about a verse this weekend. We talked about in Matthew and Luke. I don't remember the parts, but he, it's the, the story that says where somebody comes and knocks on his neighbor's door and says, hey, you know, um, he doesn't ask for a, a, a fish and he gives him a snake, right? He doesn't ask for some bread and he gives him a rock right? He says, hey, I'm going to give you the good stuff because I'm your dad. I'm your father. I love you. I want the best for you. You think about your kids and your children and your family. You want the best for them. You're not going to give them some piddly old thing or whatever unless, you know, they've just abused the privilege oftentimes. Initially, though, of your heart, you want to say, hey, I want to do what's best for my family and for my kids. You go to work, you do whatever you want, what's best for your family. And Jesus says in that parable, how much more your heavenly Father wants to take care of those who love Him. Your God is a good God. He loves you. He has a good plan for you. So tying that back in with, He wants you to ask Him. He wants you to say, hey, God, this is your promise to me. This is your promise to me. Daisy, the, the God says, He says, hey, your, your family and your children, and they shall be blessed, Right? They shall prosper. They shall do good in school. And they will do good with their friends. And they'll walk in health and wholeness in their body. Right? Those are God's promises to us. And if we don't see that lining up, then it's our job to step up as believers and to take what we call our authority in Christ. To step up and say, hey, this is not lining up to what the Word of God has promised to me. So I refuse to let anything less than that because this is a gift from my father these promises are a gift from my father another way to look at it is jesus bought these promises with his blood on the cross the price that was paid for these was the ultimate sacrifice the roman crucifixion there was nothing more no bigger death 
No harder death, no more painful way of suffering. So much so that Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know this because he was stressed. He said, hey, God, if you can, take this cup from me. In other words, if somebody else can do it, I'd love to let him do it, Jeremy. Let somebody else do it. I don't want to do it, God. But, oh, look for those buts. There's a but right in the middle of the sentence. One T, not two. I know what you're thinking. I'm just teasing. But, nevertheless, thy will be done. And he did, and he took it. And, 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 and he did what he needed to do on the cross for us. You say, gosh, Pastor Mike, why are you talking about that so much? Because we cannot overemphasize what Jesus did on the cross for us. When we begin to study and realize and understand all of the things and everything that Jesus did for us, we should be forever grateful, forever grateful. If you find your heart calloused towards it, if you find your heart saying, gosh, I wish he'd move on, watch out. If you find your heart getting to the place of saying, I've heard about Jesus, give me something else. Watch out. I challenge you, keep your heart to the place that it is like clay, that it's moldable, that you say, God, I want to know more. Maybe you're at a place of saying, hey, I don't know and understand what Jesus did for me. I don't know and understand why it matters. Step number one is accepting Christ as your heart. Saying The Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We accept Jesus into our heart and we realize, Jesus, what you did for me was enough. Why do I need a Savior? Oh man, Holy Spirit. Not my direction, not what I was planning to go this morning. Why do I need a Savior? We talked about it before. The Bible says in Romans... All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If I ask you this morning, hey, everybody that has not sinned, go ahead and raise your hand and come on up. Come on. Come on up. I'm waiting. It's a stupid joke, right? But you get the point. We've all messed up. We've all done things. That's why we need a Savior. There's a chasm there. There's a giant chasm that exists between where we are and where our future is. And Jesus has built that bridge, paved the way, because otherwise there was no way. The wages of sin is death. In other words, your consequence for sin is death. That's the way it is. That's God's law. That's the way it works in this universe. You sin... You die. Not just dying like we know it now, but spiritual death to the point that you're going to hell where suffering and eternal damnation happen forever. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. I know my God. I've lived for Him. I've seen it. I know His presence in my heart. I've seen Him lead my life and lead my family in supernatural ways that I cannot deny. And I will speak of it and declare it just as the disciples did and the early believers that they said, hey, Paul said, I cannot deny what I've seen and what I've experienced. In other words, it was so real to him that he couldn't deny it. They beat him with rods. 
He was shipwrecked pursuing the gospel. What are, some, what are the other ones he talks about in Corinthians? He was thrown in jail. He was flogged. He was stoned. Most people die on one of those. I don't know about you, but when you start thinking about it for a minute, you're standing in a stationary place, tied to a pole, whatever it is, you can't move. Go down by the river. Might sound gruesome to some of you, but I want you to get the fullness of this. Taking rocks, and people are throwing them at your head. That's what stoning is until you die. Flogging, taking big rods, and literally beating the heck out of you. Internal bruising and bleeding and whatever else. You should die by any of those things. But Paul said, I count it all joy for the suffering that I have done for my Savior and my Lord and God. Paul was persuaded. Paul was convinced. Paul knew the hope that was in Christ. And so if you're lacking in your hope this morning, if you're doing a self-assessment, you're saying, oh, I don't know, Pastor, if I could be at the place that you are. Well, what's the difference? How do you get from where you are now to the place that you need to be? Encouraging yourself in the Word of God. Coming to church, building your faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the Word of God. So in other words, how do you build that faith? How do you build that confidence? Well, you're feeding your spirit because I have the knowledge of this. I have the Word of God. I know and I'm convinced of it. Come on. I hope that this is stirring your hearts a little bit this morning, that the Holy Spirit is igniting that fire on the inside of you that says, hey, it doesn't matter what I face. I don't care what problems may come my way. I'm so convinced about this situation. I pray for my kids, and I expect them to get better. They don't get better? I say, come here, I'm praying again. I'm expecting that this situation changes. There's things that I'm trusting God and believing faith for. Remember, faith is the substance. When I get to the end, I can determine whether I have it or not. Faith is a substance. Hey, what is that final result? A couple weeks ago, I sold the story about concert tickets, right? What was that substance? The substance was the concert tickets. Attending that concert. Faith is that substance. When you're believing God and standing in faith... What is that substance? And I don't care what it is that I'm, as long as I'm believing according to the word of God, the Bible says that he hears us and that he grants whatever he, according to his will, whatever we ask according to his will. So whatever your faith is and you're believing God for, maybe it's healing in your body. God, you've promised it to me. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm expecting it to come to pass. And if it's not, does my faith falter? Does my faith waver? Do I give up? No. Ephesians 6.1, Having done all to stand, do what? Stand, therefore. Life isn't easy however you cut it. Those of you older than me can even attest to that and you could verify. But it's a whole lot easier with Christ in your life. It's a whole lot easier to have the hope. 
the hope of heaven, the hope of Christ, the hope of His promises to you and I. And even if we're not seeing Him, we're standing, and we're believing God until it comes to pass. You remind yourself, you go back and you look and you say, hey, God, I remember when you did this. Go back in the Old Testament and look. What did God do for the children of Israel? He freed them from their Egyptian slavery. You could talk on and on and on. What did God do for Joseph, who was accused of adultery and thrown in prison? Joseph says, hey, I'm innocent. He exalted him to the right under the king. His whole family was blessed through Joseph. What did God do for Daniel, who was praying and honoring God? Thrown in the lion's den. People thought for sure, no, God saved him. God protected him. And then what? The king said, surely your God is real, and the whole nation was changed because of it. Kinnabindigo, the three children in the fiery furnace, would not bow to the golden idol. Why did they not bow to the golden idol? Because they said, hey, I want to stand up for my rights? No. They didn't bow because they knew their God. Because they knew the promises of their God. They said, my Bible says in the promises to me that you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And they stood on that. Come on, think about that for a minute. Everybody else around you, the overwhelming amount of peer pressure. And they were thrown in the fire so, fact, so, so hot that the guards even got burned up. They said, once they were in the fire, said, did we not throw three men in there? Yet we see four <laughs> in the fire. God is with you always in every situation that you're in. Whether you see him or not with the natural eyes, you know, hey, God, you're for me and you're with me. Who can stand against? If my God is for me, who can stand against me? 